This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome everybody to the Planet Microcap Podcast, Canada Virtual Edition. I'm very excited about our, our panel that we have for you all today. This is going to be, we're, we're going to be talking some serious Canadian shop. All right. And, 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 you know, usually my background, I say it's LA, you know, today this is Banff, you know, with a palm tree or something, but you know, all bad jokes aside, I'm really excited for y'all to be joining us today. Uh, I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And let me introduce you to our incredible panel that uh, has been so kind to join us today and share their insights and thoughts. So I'm going to go, uh, we're going to go, I guess that's counterclockwise. So uh, to my immediate left right here, we have Matthew Martin. He is the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the the sleep-deprived external consultant for Rivemont and uh, Blogueur for uh, eSpace Microcaps. Uh, sorry, I'm stealing every one of Jason Hirschman's jokes right now so that I can spare everybody, you know, but uh, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, th thanks, Bobby, for the invitation. And uh, you got you got it right. Uh, I'm the sleep-deprived consultant, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he has a six-month-old, okay, everybody? It's not because he's up burning the midnight oil looking at microcaps, <laughs> but he might be doing that too. We don't know. We'll, we'll find out shortly. Uh, and then also joining us as well is Jason Hirschman from Hudson 215 Capital. Not 215, 215. All right. 215, J just like Interstate 215 around Las Vegas, Bobby. That's right. See, that's how you know when somebody is not a Las Vegas local. If they say, oh, yeah, I'm on the 215, you know, no. The locals say 215. It's just like in LA, we say the 405. If someone said 405, you know, they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send them, send them back to uh, Illinois or wherever they came from. Then. <laughs> Actually, you know how we know is if they say the 405, they just say the four, you know, see, I can't even say without saying the 405. They say the, I can't say. It. Anyways, all right, moving on. We got also joining us right now is Dean Trattier. He is blogger, uh, Twitter raconteur, and probably can, I think, uh, squat all of us uh, collectively combined right now. Uh, what's up, Dean? Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Bobby. It's great to have you, man. And then also joining us, the I know she's going to be so embarrassed by me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. The legend herself, she uh, had a, a brief uh, hiatus of joining me on a show. It's been four years, and now she's back to uh, just share all of her incredible insights and wisdom uh, about investing and everything. So joining us again, Meredith Brill, uh, private investor at Lockstock Barrel on Twitter. Meredith, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me again, Bobby. Oh, it's great to have uh, it's great to have you. All right. So, you know, every one of you have been on one, uh, uh, whether it's the Planet Microcap podcast or one of our shows or speak, spoke at one of our uh, events. So, you know, we're not, we're not going to, you know, do our typical background, you know, where your passion for investing gets started. But I really wanted to just kind of dig in here and uh, save people from uh, even more razzle dazzle that, uh, uh, you know, we, we like to do here to start off these, uh, these shows. So I want to start off with the question of, you know, for the Canadian locals on here, and, and uh, do, do you make an active choice 
to invest in Canadian microcaps, or did you find some sort of inefficiency? So uh, we're going to start off with Matthew, and then uh, we're going to go to Dean. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, for me, uh, it's always been more, uh, it always felt more natural to invest in my own country. Um, so uh, I, I think there are a few advantages. Um, so I can have better access to companies. If I want to go visit a company, uh, head office or a manufacturing plant, uh, I can just take my car and drive. Uh, I, mean, I mean, if it's in Quebec, my own province, um, and also there's the language uh, in Quebec here, uh, people speak French. So um, I think there's an advantage there that can be gained. Um, also just uh, from a regulation standpoint and accounting standards and all that stuff. Um, I think it, I feel more comfortable investing here in Canada. So um, that, that's the main re reason why I got started here. And, and also one thing I should mention is that um, the Canadian market is um, very focused on natural resources. So uh, you know, mo most of the stocks listed here are uh, mining and oil and gas. Uh, so when you, uh, like the, the, the ecosystem is built around that, the brokers, the investors, they are knowledgeable in, 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 in these areas and not so much in like technology or uh, consumer goods or all that, these other industries. So when you, you dig and you try to find uh, good little companies that are growing with a, like a real product and, and uh, a real business. Uh, I think you can find the inefficiencies. And, and so that, that's also what attracted me to the, the Canadian micro cap space. Very good. And Dean, how about you? Uh, yeah, very similar. Uh, just kind of started in Canada as so much of the due diligence process is kind of going to where the work is happening or the products being made or the services being sold. So you start where you're familiar. Um, I have tracked my performance based um, uh, based on where I, whether the company is based in Canada or the United States. And so I'm not exclusively Canada, but I definitely have a better track record of picking Canadian companies. So it's just sort of further reinforced uh, what, what Matthew is saying about um, sort of the cultural and the ease, uh, ease of access to information that's really relevant for these small companies. And yeah, the, the ecosystem is, is really focused on like, it's either banks, base metals, precious metals, or oil and gas here in Canada. These small, small, quick growing companies are an exception um, for sure. Gotcha. Now, now uh, Meredith is also a Canadian local, but before I get to her answer on this, I wanted to bring in our uh, our U.S. representative for the Canada Virtual Edition here. So, I mean, Jason, how, how did you find yourself in investing in Canadian microcaps? Well, Bobby, I, I made one of the cardinal investing sins, okay? When someone you respect pitches you a stock, shut up and let them talk. You know, in 2012, a friend of mine told me about a Canadian software roll-up called Constellation Software. And immediately I was like, did you see what happened to Nortel Networks? Are you seeing what's going on with RIM? I told him, and I thought this was brilliant at the time. I said, you know, as Charlie Munger might say, if you mix poutine with turds, there's still turds, right? Well, I learned my lesson, I own CSU now. So when I joined Microcap Club in 2014, I promised myself I would keep an open mind to every strange microcap from Canada, right? Pivoting from insecticide to iron pills, open mind, right? Lending money to canola farmers, 
open mind, right? Plastic film for car enthusiasts with five Ferraris, three ex-wives, and homes in Istanbul, Gestad, and Malibu, open mind, right? As an American, you don't have home field advantage in Canada, but you also don't suffer from home team bias, right? There's no pressure to round out a portfolio with oil sand stocks, or go crazy for Canadian cannabis plays. You have the luxury of picking and choosing the select Canadian microcaps that serve your portfolio. So be the super choosy American. Wait, Jason, really quick, I got to follow up. Is that is that what the quote that's on your Munger uh, beautiful painting that 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 Sean Eddings did for you? Or no, actually, it, it doesn't say. Uh, wait, I think you got to send uh, it back and say, Sean. I think yes. you got to say, Sean, poutine with turds is still turds. Like, yeah, come yeah, on. I think that would you know, it's it's not as my, my quote is catchy, but I think this is a little classier. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you very much, Sean Idings. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's such a cool, such a cool gift. Such a cool gift. All right. So Meredith, as our as our to, to round us out as as part of our Canadian locals on here, I wanted to follow up based on everything that that everyone said here. You know, what would you say for you are are the benefits to investing uh, on the Canadian exchange for a Canadian investor? So when I started out, I really did have a home bias and I wanted to stay in Canada mostly. Um, I think the main benefits for me are that I have the greatest access to management, just like um, Matthew said. So you can get in your car, go to headquarters and, not, and sit down with the CEO, but not only sit down with him, ask to meet other um, management and you know get the vibe of the uh, headquarter office. So I think that's an extremely valuable to me. Not in COVID times, they're not going to do that in COVID times, but in normal times you can do that. Also, um, I love going to annual general meetings that are, and if it's in your city, it's very easy to do. Um, and most people don't really know this, but you can ask management all sorts of questions. And um, most interestingly is to see the other shareholders that attend. So I have gone to annual general meetings where it's just me and management, and I'm literally the only person sitting there. So you, you have access to management, you have access to the board members. It's really interesting for that. But in cases where you do meet other investors, it's also, it's even better, I think, because then you can network and share due diligence. So I think it's really, really valuable for that. And the other thing is that um, if it's listed on a Canadian exchange, then me as a private investor, I can put it in any account. So that means registered accounts and unregistered accounts. If I'm really interested in a stock that trades just on the um, US OTC market, then I'm really limited in where I can put it, only unregistered accounts. So that, you know, if I'm gonna put a lot of time and effort into researching a company, then um, I, I, it's better if I can put it all across my accounts. And, you know, the other obvious thing is that I can stay in my local currency and not take on currency risk. But a lot of the unique companies in Canada do have global business exposure. So that's great. I get to stay in Canadian currency and get the global exposure. Very good. By the way, Meredith, I wonder where Jason was talking about the person who told him about this great idea, this idea of roll up. I, I'm sure we'll find <laughs> I wonder. I wonder where we'll find that out. You know, at some point. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, Meredith, coming right back to you. You know, go to my next question here is, and that's, you know, all right. So we've established that uh, each of you have found interesting opportunities that uh, have been both very beneficial. And in Dean's case, you know, he's the master of holding losers. I don't know where that came from, uh, but uh, 
I, I, I joked. That was a joke. I promise. For sure. So, uh, so Meredith, come right back to you. You know, what, what would then you say is your investing strategy? Yeah. So because Canada is, as Matthew said, um, is so thematic. So you've got mining, you've got energy, you've got, then it was blockchain, then it was marijuana and now it's psychedelics. So, I mean, Canada really has some interesting microcasts that do not slot neatly into any of those themes. And I think oftentimes they get ignored. Um, and so you have an opportunity to look at them if um, they don't you know, go with anybody's uh, themes. So I kind of have two buckets that I look at. So the first one is like, everybody says this, but high quality growth um, companies, but with unique assets so that are difficult to replicate. So examples of this could be um, leaders in the space where they have idiosyncratic um, business models. And, and I would use the Constellation um, software as a, an example of that. So um, when Constellation software started in 2006, it was a $350 million market cap. And now it's a $35 billion market cap. So um, and they just do things completely differently um, from everybody in rolling up vertical market software, little companies, then applying best practices, and then never selling. So that's sort of their, their business model that they just sort of invented. So, um, and I do own shares in that. So um, the other one is, is um, intellectual property heavy companies, because I am a um, patent lawyer as well. So. Um, in that case, if they offer a superior product or service that is protected by patents or trademarks, then um, it makes it, you know, very valuable, I think. And then the other um, bucket is sort of like these um, other orphan microcaps that don't really, again, don't really slot in neatly to any of those groups. But, and, and there might be a special situation there that is misunderstood. So um, sometimes you get temporary overhangs, um, like a lawsuit or a business disruption. But if you can take the time to assess that um, problem and you're comfortable with the fact that they will resolve at some point, then um, you can take a position in the stock when it's out of favor. And so there's other examples where the sector is temporarily out, out of favor, like a COVID uh, work from home stock that, um, you know, obviously is going to have a business disruption. But if you can have a variant view that the it will just survive that disruption, then when you buy stock at the depressed price, then you can get that reversion to the mean. And if the underlying business does well after that, you get an extra torque when it does well, if it does well. Very good, and I and I think we're going to hear more about this. You know, some of your your using your your professional background to right. help assess uh, some stuff. We'll be hearing that in a little bit, everybody. Just stay tuned for that. I think you'll want to listen in on on that story from uh, Meredith and Jason. But Dean, same question to you. You know, what what would you say is your investing strategy? Uh, I guess it's it's fluid to to uh, best describe it. It I definitely don't have. Um, the same kind of sort of what's all over Twitter these days is sort of just pay pay anything for quality type mentality. It's definitely fundamental based. Um, the ability to 
go and look at anywhere and be overweight in any one stock or sector is is a big advantage that I have as a private investor. So if the if it if the opportunity is right, you can go heavy into one company or specific corner of the market. And I've done that at times and I've definitely had um, more top down uh, sort of as Meredith described where like a working a COVID has severely impacted a business. It might not be um, a, a super strong long-term sort of compounder, if you will, but the temporary overhang of COVID will eventually go away. And, you know, the business should return as well as a reasonable uh, multiple should return to that business once optimism is back. And so that's a little bit more short-term as well as I, I definitely, when I do find those, those diamonds in the rough, I'll, I'll hang on to them for like, I think I've held my longest position for eight or nine years now, which is almost the entire time that I've been an, uh, an investor. So um, yeah, I don't have a specific style, definitely fundamental. Usually I don't, or I can't say I have any names in the company that take any of the sort of flashy, um, super sexy businesses uh, right now. So yeah, hope that answers your question. That, that, that does look, I mean, at the end of the day, this question is a very open-ended, there's no right or wrong, you know, I mean, uh, not, not, I mean, there, there's many different ways that you can make money in the market. You know, this happens to be specifically, we're talking about Canadian market caps and how people are doing it on, on there. So um, the same question, Jason, to you then, you know, what would you say is your investing strategy? And maybe we'll, we'll, again, as our U.S. representative, you know, what, what's been your investing strategy when you're considering a potential Canadian microcap investment? Yeah, you know, my official title at Hudson 215 Capital is managing director, but actually I'm, I'm like a combination football general manager and lead scout, right? I'm looking for unrecognized talent, which means I try to buy potentially great businesses on the cheap, right? A misunderstood business model, a top-notch management team that has fallen out of favor, a solid business going through a rough patch, right? Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about like the specifics of like what I look for in, in, in Canadian, uh, uh, you know, microcasts. But for now, I just also want to add that, you know, honestly, people focus too much, I think, on good investment strategy, good investment strategy. I think just as important is avoiding bad disinvesting, aka poor selling, right? One thing I've learned from like owning MasterCard straight on from June 20, 2006 to now, which is a, a 75 bagger. <laughs> is that like developing holding discipline is like crucial. Like in many ways, that's where the real money is made, right? From your holding strategy, not your investing strategy. Right. And I think we could add to that even then your, 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 uh, your compounding strategy from there too. Oh right? yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, since I'm looking for something special, right? If, if, you know, that, 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 that prospect, which has maybe, maybe he has a great arm, the equivalent of a great arm, or maybe he has like great speed, right? That's what we're looking for, like in microcaps. You don't find fully developed businesses. You're just finding something with a glimmer of something different and special, right? As, you know, if they are developing that skill, or right, if they are starting to combine themselves into the entire like package, right? You want to hold on to it, right? You really want to take advantage of it, right? If you draft, you know, uh, Tom Brady or whatever in the sixth round or, you know, a, draft number 99, right? If he's turning into like a world-class quarterback, you don't trade him away after the first year, right? You don't trade him away when, while he's still a micro cap. 
so I, I really do think there's 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 great benefits to if you find that that special microcap to just taking a very long multi-year nap and hopefully waking up to a much longer profit. Wait, so you are you telling us that Bill Belichick is actually a great microcap investor and whoever was GM of the Falcons when he traded Brett Favre after one year, he is not a great microcap investor. Is that really what you're trying to say? Yes, that that, that individual would probably not be well suited for uh, microcap investing. Fair uh, enough. Okay, good. All right. Just wanted to make sure we were following along. The, yeah, we're, the, we're we on had the same to make page, sure. Okay. All right. Good. You know, and this, and for our, uh, for our non You're a Giants fan, right? You're a Giants fan, right? Uh, yes. And happily during 20s, 2007, 2011. And it's okay. been uh, quite a ride since. Let's just put it like yes. that. Yes. Okay. So, you know, you know that, that there's ups and downs to investing, you know, ups and downs to your teams, right? And uh, listen, as much of a bull market as it's been since like 2008, it's been that much of a bear market since 2011 as a Giants fan. Let's just put yeah, it like that. Yeah. But uh, Matthew, same question. I want to come to you on this one. You know, what would you say then is your investing strategy? Yeah, sure. So, um, um, well, first of all, I, I would say I'm a generalist investor, so I, I don't um, I don't specialize in specific sectors, anything that I can understand and that I, I'm able to uh, put a, a value on it, uh, I will consider. Um, so like, like Meredith said in our first bucket, um, uh, high quality growth names, uh, I think that's, that would be mostly what I'm looking for. Um, and, and, you know, from, from a quantitative perspective, uh, I look for uh, good attributes like uh, revenue growth, uh, good balance sheet, uh, company that's profitable, uh, high return on equity, all, all these good attributes um, that a lot of people look for. But where I think I do things differently is um, I use these attributes to build a watch list. And uh, then on the I look at the watch list and I do more qualitative work. So I, I try to speak with management uh, many times, uh, if possible, before I invest, I talk to uh, you know other employees. I, if possible, I, I try the product or service. I, I, I can speak to uh, suppliers or customers. Um, you know, I, I, I do more work to uh, really get to know the business inside out compared to other microcap investors. I think um, so. So that's how I, I, I think I'm able to make better long-term decisions. Uh, and, and this goes back to Jason's point also to uh, uh, hold for the long term. I think it's easier to hold when you know your positions better than most people. Got it. And so, Matthew, coming right back to, you know, I'm, I have one question that I wrote up that I think I'm going to skip for now because I think we more or less answered it at the beginning here, you know, but uh, you touched on a few qualities that you look for in a potential Canadian microcap. I mean, what are, what are some other things that are important to you? You know, from, I mean, you, you're a fundamentalist at, at fundamentalist, you're a fundamental investor. You gotta be careful with saying, you know, that, but you're, you're, you know, you know, you're more or less a funnel investor, you know, actually, I think all of you are more or less that, you know, you, you want to just make sure it's a, at the very least a, a quality business, you know, so what are some of those qualities on uh, that are most important to you? Yeah, well, th there are two main things that I try to assess when, when I look at a new opportunity. Um, so I, I want to see a good management team. So that, that's why I al always like to talk to management in, in the first steps of my research. Uh, I want to uh, understand 
um, how they think about the business, about the risks, about the opportunities. I, I want to um, get a feeling that they think uh, for the long term. Um, and also, uh, I want to assess their capital allocation skills. Um, so how they will finance the business, how they will invest the cash flows. Um, so, so that, you know, I, I, I can't say that it's, it's just one thing I look for. It's just a, a, an overall uh, assessment that I do of the quality of the management team. And, and then uh, the second thing that's very important is uh, competitive advantages. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to invest in a commodity business. Uh, I, want, I want to make sure that the business is durable for the long term. So if I'm going to hold it for many years, you know, uh, it has to have uh, strong competitive advantages. So those are the two main things I tried to assess early on. And then I will look at the valuation and see if it makes sense. Uh, but I would say valuation is like the third criteria. Very good. Uh, and Jason, how about for you? You know, you mentioned a few, a few qualities as well, you know, so what, what are some of the, the qualities that are most important to you? You know, I think maybe it's because Canada has so many commodity plays, but I think, you know, superior distribution doesn't get its due recognition. Um, like if you dig up gold or grow wheat, the distribution system is established, right? You don't have to convince anyone to take your gold at the market price. But uh, if you're a non-commodity stock in, in Canada, um, I, I think, you know, we, we get a lot of razzle-dazzle from, from, from microcap management teams about some new product, some new service, but really, you know, it could be, you know, hear a lot of SaaS talk, right? But it's, it's, it's software. It, it, what, what matters is, you know, is, is the selling, right? You got to sell it. It's not a suggestion, right? So, you know, for me, for any given niche or product or service, I'll take a world-class sales and marketing team over a superior product any day of the week and twice on Boxing Day. That's my, my, little, my little Canada reference there. So I think that's like number one. Number two, and, and sorry to say this, but I think Canadian microcap investors, they're really fickle lovers. And even the, the best also get swept up in, in concept stocks. And, and we've all done it. Uh, I mean, back in like March, April of like 2017, like Light Access raised 20 million Canadian, right? Uh, at, at 225 a share based on a few strong quarters and this high speed internet super cycle enthusiasm. And they, they upsized it, right? First, they were going to raise 12.6 million. Then they're going to raise 15 million. Then they actually raised 20 million. Meanwhile, Expel, right, offered in February 2017 a private placement for 3 million US at a buck 43. Um, and they didn't even get enough subscribers to, to fill that, right? And so again, like Canadian investors, all microcap investors, really. I mean, there's a lot of like ups and downs, what's hot, what's not, and and you know, and now of course, you know, expels like the cat's pajamas, at least according to like Twitter posters. So you know, a promising story can get you a temporary five or even ten bagger, but it's execution to get you that durable share appreciation. And and by the way, I, I do own Expel shares, and I don't own LTE. Well, and also one other constellation. Do you still own constellation? Yes, own I do. I still own constellation. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Well, we're going to be getting to the, the expel story very, very yeah. shortly, but Dean, you know, for you as well, you know, what, what are your, what are some of the qualities that you look for as well? I know you mentioned a few earlier. Yeah. Uh, not, nothing that's going to surprise you or anything like that. Um, what? 
I like, uh, you know, I say everyone says high quality management. That is, um, that is always very hard to sort of tease out through uh, a, a meeting or two. I sort of build my understanding of a management team over over years as I understand a business and see how they think. And you also have to give them the opportunity to make, you know, a spectrum of good and poor decisions with the opportunities that that present themselves. So a good example of that is is uh, during COVID, if if a, if it was a business that did not need to lay off any people um, or furlough any people and maintain uh, the culture of the business, even if that hurt profitability in the short term, that is uh, that is a sign of a high quality management team, um, as well as someone that looks for uh, the experience that the customer or the end user is having of their product, whether or not they sell directly to that end user. Uh, understanding that is another, you know, a little trait that you can see. Uh, I'm probably the only uh, investor on here that has a couple of small net net holdings. So obviously those are those generally I have yet to find a super high quality business behind that. Having said that, all of the companies that I've had that, um, have turned out to be multi-vagers, have started out with very, very humble beginnings with a lot of either statistically cheap um, from a balance sheet standpoint um, and expensive from an income statement standpoint. And so the valuation on some of those businesses is uh, very important. You know, there is a couple of businesses there that Jason referenced. One of those businesses, you're probably taking a lot of risk when you're paying substantially above replacement value of the assets um, where the other business you could pay multiples of uh, of, of the, any asset value or liquidation value and you will be fine because it's so high quality so understanding what the business is and if if you're like me and you're willing to go and invest in in less than high quality businesses you just have to really make sure your valuation is uh, is is there and that the balance sheet can withstand uh, a rough patch because likely if it's statistically cheap, it's, it's already in the midst of a rough patch and you don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not a prognosticator. You don't know how long these things are going to last. Very good. Very good. All right. So we're now at that point in this panel that I think a lot of our, our audience have been waiting for. It's uh, story time. And it's also now time to hum humble brag everybody. So, you know, we're on this panel discussing how great Canadian microcaps are, you know, so I I'd love to hear a bit more uh, about a successful Canadian microcap investment that you made, you know, and really how that changed your life. So, you know, we're going to start off with Meredith, you know, I, I, I think you have some little story that you and Jason have been looking at for a few years now and probably want to talk about and, and uh, humble brag about, of course. So uh, Meredith, the floor is yours. Thank you. Um, so when I joined the Microcap Club back in um, 2015, um, there was a lot of chatter about a company called Expel and they um, mainly do paint protection film for um, cars, auto. And I started a position, a small position uh, when I joined. And um, so it had a main Toronto um, venture listing. And it did also trade on the OTC, but it was very, very illiquid and it rarely traded there. Um, so I bought a, a position on the Toronto 
um, exchange, which allowed me to put it across all of my accounts, which was very good for me. Um, and then in December 31st, 2015, they were hit by a patent lawsuit by competitor 3M. And um, the stock cut in half the next day and fell from there. And uh, because I'm a patent lawyer and um, also a chemical engineer, I used that opportunity to assess the merit, look at the public documents that were available through PACER and um, the European Patent Office had um, also um, a parallel uh, lawsuit against a uh, challenge against the, uh, the patent that was being asserted against Expel. And um, we used that opportunity to um, assess the merits of the lawsuit, which others you know, didn't take the time to do. Um, and then we were able to step in and buy the shares at the highly depressed share price when we realized we, we, we got comfortable with the, uh, the threat of the lawsuit. Gotcha. And then Jason, you wanted to, to follow up on that as well? Because I, I know that you guys worked closely on, on this idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I, sure. I have to talk about Expel too. And I, I want to be, be very public to say that really, you know, the Expel journey really is like 80% Meredith's success. And I'll, I'll take credit for, for 19%. We've got to give Ryan and his management team 1% of the success <laughs> too. But 80% of it goes to... Uh, goes to Meredith. So you know, I've been investing since 1995, 1995. So my Expel journey started 20 years into my investing career. So in, like, in some ways, I'm a bit jealous of, of friends like, like Sean, who, uh, who really achieved life-changing games before needing to dye their beards, you know, lucky bastard, right? So like 20 years of like process refinement came together for Expel. Like, I finally learned to team up with smart investors like Meredith rather than Lone Wolf it, right? I learned to analyze and ask the right questions to management to illuminate the true opportunity, right? I bought in size and didn't stop just because the price doubled from the lows I paid, right? And finally, I held through an almost 18 month period when the stock went nowhere and didn't sell just because it 2X or 10X or 20X from my cost basis, right? And just as helpful is like using my personal business experience, right? I had been in patent lawsuits as both a plaintiff and as defendant. I have to admit, I was a, probably a little bit more reluctant to load up on Expel than Meredith on, on based on the analysis of like 3M's patent quality. You know, we came to, to find out or, or to, to analyze is that 3M's like PPF patents probably wouldn't have survived a patent validity challenge, right? But for me, it was like the combination of 3M's patent validity or invalidity issues and having, which Meredith didn't mention, but really led the charge, like having Expel's film actually analyzed and finding it not violate 3M's patents, which you know, that combination made me think that this tiny microcap on listed on the TSX venture could successfully beat the mighty 3M beyond any reasonable doubt. That's, that's, that was my, my conclusion. So Meredith and I, just to give you a little background, like we knew the film did not breach 3M's patents on April 13th, 2016. You know, I'd gone by then from like roughly 2,700 shares to about 322,000 share, shares on the basis of the patent analysis. But from April 13th to November 24th, 2016, I bought, and this is the only can do this on microcap, really, only in Canada, really. I bought 40% of Expel shares that traded on the venture 
But honestly, that's like 663,000 out of 1.6 million that traded in that period, right? Only 1.6 million shares traded in that, that period. So expel on the NASDAQ now routinely share trades 250,000 shares a day, right? The discovery process for microcap propels both like price and volume, right? One of the advantages of the lawsuit was that Meredith and I had a year when we were one of the few investors who thought deeply and thoroughly about Expel. And I, I still believe that we actually have an extra year of Expel understanding compared to other investors. I think, I think this has really helped our conviction to hold. Now, I, I can talk about Expel for hours, Bobby. But the last thing I'll say for now is that asking management about the nature of the communities where Expel was doing really well opened my eyes, right? People think PPF is for Ferraris and BMWs, but one of Expel's best local markets is a working class Hispanic border city in Texas, right? Lots of installed jobs on pickup trucks, new pickup trucks. And, and to me, that, that showed the real opportunity for PPF and Expel across the US and really across the world. So I'll stop there, but I'm, I'm sure I'll bring up Expel again. Right, and I and I just want to be clear. I mean, when you guys did your own, in, when you wanted to check the validity of the the claim that 3M did against Expel, this was all your own independent analysis. This was nothing, you know. That this was all on your own. It was on your own dime. Like you just you just took that next step. To yeah, really this is see. this was this was on our own dime, and and uh, uh, again, you know, Meredith deserves eighty percent of the credit, if not more. And you know, and it, it's it's a lot of back and forth conversations, and and actually. Uh, talking to uh, uh, you know university professors, going to different laboratories because the first laboratory really couldn't get the job done, right? To to uh, you know and this film is really really thin, so like it, analyzing it isn't the easiest thing to do, right? And it it takes months and months and months of work, uh, and 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 really, you know, we could have done all this work just to find out that they did violate it and, and that the it wasn't going to be a good investment, but fortunately. Uh, you know, we found out that really there was a fantastic opportunity here. And Meredith, maybe you have something else to add. Yeah, I mean, we, we um, could have just relied on the, the validity um, assessment, but there's two prongs. There's the validity and whether there's infringement. So when we did the testing on the film, we were really trying to understand whether it infringed or not. So that's why when we finally found the lab to uh, reverse engineer it properly and we could assess the, uh, the merits of the uh, infringement assess assessment, then um, I think that was, that was really a fulsome approach there. And, and this is probably the most important question of the entire panel, but Meredith, I mean, did you charge a retainer to every <laughs> investor that was interested in looking at Expel? I mean, that's really, you know, well, you like, got to, that's, you're dipping your hand in both pots right there, potentially. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> so it was a group effort. And I think, I think one of the benefits of networking really with smart investors is that we all have different skill sets. And so if we can combine those skill sets together, I think it's a mosaic with, with producing a thesis, right? So I did that aspect, Jason did another aspect, other investors helped in understanding the business. So I think it really, it's, it's not a, it's, it's a group, it was a group effort. So it's not just one person, but everybody brings something different to the table, I think with their skill sets. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for that. So, you know, now Dean, Matthew, love to hear about uh, an investment that that you did that really changed your life and and uh, it was a Canadian microcap, of course. So Dean, Dean, you first. 
Okay, uh, I, I'm going to pick one that's not, that didn't change my, uh, my financial fortunes, but it sort of reinforced my um, process. And so the company is, it's no longer public. It's a little company uh, called IWG Technologies. It's the company I actually used in my application for the microcap club. Uh, a quick background is they were, they were trading at a single digit, uh, price to free cash flow with a strong balance sheet and sort of they were probably growing five to ten percent a year organically they had recently commercialized a tankless water heater uh, and they make water treatment products for business jets they had just gotten to the commercial stage for a tankless water heater which is just another product in their value chain um, but the the goal would be to get into sort of the commercial uh, aerospace which would just be multiples uh, in size of the current business. So uh, I used my, my operations background. I went to the AGM. I was the only shareholder there. I got management's ear for, for about an hour. And then while I was uh, at the AGM, I went and toured the facility and uh, leaned very heavily on, on my work experience and then was able to sort of tease out what would be the definitive milestones that I would see as an investor looking from the outside of this business to see their success because it had that um, it had the high quality very critical product um, you know in order to sell anything on an airplane you have to get all sorts of approvals uh, as far as quality is concerned so it had the it had the product and then it had the potential and so I needed to assess what were the what would be the deliverables I would see in order to see the success. Um, and fortunately, it actually got taken out uh, by private equity uh, only a little bit, I think only maybe a year and a half or two years after I bought shares. So it, it did limit the, um, I guess it did limit me financially from what that could have been, but it did validate my process. It validated the, the fundamental research aspect of everything as as uh, retail investors in Canada seem to be a little bit more short-term focused and a little bit more um, thematic, I would say. And it was a neglected business. It also validated the, the idea of networking and getting onto the microcap club and conversing with other uh, investors as well. You know, Dean, uh, it, I, I just can't believe you went to the AGM and you had four hours worth of questions. Like that's incredible <laughs> onto itself. Uh, that's a skill. Well, you know, you you only get so much time, and I've as I've, you only get so much opportunities, and you want to make sure you're very well prepared. You definitely don't want to waste anyone's time. So your questions have to be quite, um, you know, quite well thought out. Uh, in order to really understand what you need to understand, especially if it's in a business you don't have any personal experience with going into it. Right. Well, so is the trick then to ask 10 minute long questions or is it to, like, I'm trying to learn here. I mean, I, I do this for a living. So I, 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 you got to teach me a couple things. I guess it depends on what the investment opportunity is. So if you're, if you're really struggling to, if I, if I'm, if I'm looking at a business that, I have no previous experience with, I really need to understand the product. I really need to understand uh, potentially the user experience. Um, if it's something that is more of say a, um, 
if it's a roll-up strategy or an acquisition strategy, then you really need to get a little bit more understanding of capital allocation, management's experience, and then their viewpoint on shareholders. Uh, and then you have to tease out like what kind of shareholder base, what's the relationship with the board, all sorts of things like that. And it's also building a relationship because if you know these these companies, you're not going to be in them for three or six months. You're going to be there for several years, and you want to build a relationship that you are you are a strong, committed shareholder. Um, you're willing to hold everyone accountable, but you want to be able to sort of pick up the phone or schedule a meeting or get some get management's time if something changes with the business. Especially if you're going to put a large portion of your portfolio into these things, like. It's not uncommon to have 15 or 20% positions, especially as they grow. Um, and you wanna hang on to those things. You don't wanna sell after that first double or triple, especially if it is that high quality business with that multi-bagger opportunity. Very good. All right, Matthew, close us out here. You know, what What was a, an invest, a Canadian investing opportunity that changed your life? Yeah, uh, so, um, well, I'll speak for the Reefmont Microcap Fund um, uh, because it's more, uh, it's, it's a more recent uh, success. Um, so the, the fund has been launched uh, about three years ago and, and the biggest winner uh, so far has been a company called uh, Zebec Adsorption, it's uh, XBC on the TSX Venture. Um, so we've, we first bought the company in uh, 2018 um, was trading at about a 40 million market cap. Um, the company did about 15 million in sales the, the previous year. Um, and, and they had just won their largest contract in, in history. Uh, it was a $51 million contract. So uh, more, more than uh, triple their previous year's revenue in just one contract. And, and the stock didn't really move that much on the news. So I figured, you know, this, this doesn't make any sense, you know, it, um, I, I figured it, it, it was probably very undervalued. And I, so I did financial modeling. I spoke with management. I did industry research and, and uh, got enough conviction to buy a significant position in that one. Um, so at, at the time, the stock was trading at about 70 cents. And uh, they just ended up executing. Um, so. Uh, Revenues this year will probably be above 70 million and they're guiding for over 100 million next year. Um, so very, very fast revenue growth. Uh, they've become profitable. Um, and I also, I, I, I build the conviction to read trust management. I think uh, the CEO is one of the best microcap CEOs out there. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's not even a microcap anymore, but uh, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we still own, uh, well, well, the fund still owns a uh, position in, in Xibec and uh, now the market cap is over a billion dollar and uh, the stock price is over $8. So uh, it's been uh, like a 12 bagger uh, in less than three years. So th that would be the biggest success for the fund. Nice. Congrats on that one. Congrats to all of you on, you know, uh, on, on these successful stories and, you know, uh, 
garnering your entry to being on this panel today. I, I know it, when you first made those investments, you're like, oh, this is going to get me on Planet Microcap, you know, Canada Virtual Edition panel at some point. So congrats on all that. But, you know, this actually all leads to my next question, because especially um, in in the using the Expel experience and also CSU, um, uh, the Constellation software experience, is that there's really that managing the fine line between holding and selling, which is really difficult. I mean, Jason spoke to this a little bit earlier as well. And, you know, how, how would you say that you've maintained the conviction to hold uh, or determine when the thesis is broken? So Meredith, I wanted to come to you on this one uh, first and then we'll, we'll get everybody's opinion. Yeah, I think it's really, really important to understand the long-term prospects of the company. So many people just go quarter to quarter and they sort of miss the, the, the end game. So what I often think of the end game or how big can this company become? And to do that, you really have to do some very deep due diligence. So talking to, in Expel's case, talking to the installers, understanding the installer ecosystem and how Expel fits into the entire stack. So you have the manufacturer, then you have Expel as the marketing, branding, quasi-franchiser, and then you've got all the independent installers. So the installers are could be mom and pop shops or they can be the dealerships. And so understanding how they fit into the stack, understanding the global opportunity, because you know they started domestically in the US and then they have a very, very high presence in Canada. And now they are going to Europe, they're going to China, they're going to eventually go to Japan, Korea. So Russia, Mexico. So understanding the global opportunity, I think is, is, is really important. So you're not just looking quarter to quarter, which many people unfortunately do, um, but sort of that really helps with under holding the stock, I think. Very good. And then, I, you know, Matt, do you want to come back? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so um, I mean, I, I, I mentioned it a few times already, but management, is so important to me uh, that when I, I, I decide that I can trust someone, uh, I, I just trust them So uh, un, until I'm proven wrong. So uh, um, that helps uh, to hold for a long term, even though uh, sometimes things don't go as expected or uh, maybe the stock uh, gets uh, overvalued or undervalued or, you know, Things fluctuate, but in the end, if I trust the business plan and the management team to execute it, um, I, I I tend to have a longer term uh, horizon. Uh, but I, you know, I still struggle with that. Uh, it's it's challenging when you're sitting on big gains, and, and uh, it seems like the right thing to do is to take profits. But uh, usually, uh, it's not the right thing to do because uh, winners keep on winning usually. Um, and 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 uh, for the other part of the question uh, of realizing when the thesis is broke is broken, um, well, when I first invest in a company, I I, I really try to um, set my expectations and and know what has to go right for this investment to succeed, and um, I try to benchmark along the way if the execution goes according to my initial expectations and I reassess it's a very dynamic process but uh, in the end um, uh, you know I have to be honest with myself and, and know when something is not working according to plan and then uh, decide to move on gotcha and, and Dean how, how do you think about this 
I think we're all long-term investors in 2020 when the share prices of our favorite companies are doubling and tripling inside of a year. Uh, I think the harder, so there's, there's the holding and maybe there's, I would consider holding or at least holding a core position, maybe you're trimming as, as your exposure gets to some, to a degree that's unrealistic where you're not sleeping at night. The focus should be on the business and not the share price. So is the business uh, growing or are they becoming more entrenched uh, in their current market? You know, if, if, if that business is performing better, it's a lot easier to not look at the share price and worry about um, what can happen in the short term. Having said that, there are, there are times where it makes sense to really maybe not completely liquidate a position, maybe uh, take a significant amount of money off the table. Uh, as a private investor, I have no one to report my quarterly year-end statements to. They don't care if I've got a 5% position in Expel or a 35% position in Expel when it's trading at whatever times revenue. So you can use that as your, uh, as an advantage. If the thesis is broken, so I'm going to use a company I, I do own shares in and I've held for a while. My original thesis for this company, Sangoma Technologies, was they were transforming themselves from a lumpy declining, or slowly declining product business to recurrent software business. And they were going to do that uh, with a mixture of in-house product development as well as some acquisitions. And so a core, a core uh, function of that thesis was the acquisitions. And so you have to give them a reasonable amount of time to execute. And if it was two years into the, to the strategy and we had not seen any acquisitions or had not seen any ones that had moved the needle as far as getting the business to where it was going to be, that thesis would have been broken at that point. That's not what happened, but at that point that would have been broken and he would have just sold the shares and moved on. Regardless of what the share price would have been or whatever, you're better off to just move on and find a different opportunity. Very good. All right, so uh, Jason, uh, coming to you on this question, and because I, I want to even skip ahead a little bit because the the overlapping theme it seems you know amongst everybody before, and I, I I'm sure you would agree here is that you know you have a stronger conviction to hold when you can determine that that microcap investment or any investment, but we're talking microcap. So that microcap investment may have a true competitive advantage. And you can actually point to that company and say, oh, you know what, there, this actually might be a great management team in place. You know, so for you, you know, how do you think about, uh, you know, holding and, and, and also being able to then sell when you see your thesis has been broken? And then we'll transition to those other points. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, that's, fine line between holding and selling and, and determining, you know, maintaining the conviction to, to hold is probably one of the hardest jobs for an investor, really, right? You know, there are so many books and articles written about stock picking, but there are very few books written about holding skills, actually, right? So, you know, it's, it's one thing to think that the thesis is broken and you sell, but it's actually not, right? You know, the solution is to recognize your mistake quickly. And one rule that I have is I force myself to follow the company for at least another quarter after selling. I think you know, too many investors drop a stock completely once they sell. And you, you won't recognize a selling error if you do that. Sometimes it's, it's you, know, you bought for the right reason, you just had a temporary lapse of judgment and you're selling incorrectly. If you stop following it, 
uh, you're not going to have you're not going to be able to correct your mistake. But I think that the more common mistake is when an investor knows the business is really good, the long-term prospects are strong, but still sells, and usually because there's a surprise weak quarter or because of valuation. And you know, the selling decision actually is often made in a in a day or two, and the investor tries to get out as quickly as possible, right? So I find like long-term conviction holding requires slowing down selling. You know, sell 5% if you're worried and see how it feels the next day, right? If you sell 50% quickly, your brain is going to convince you that you made the right decision uh, because everyone wants to seem logical and consistent to themselves, right? Separate, separate the surprise element from the actual news or analysis that is driving you to sell. Now, of course, if you go slow, you can get hurt if the stock falls further and the right decision was to liquidate. But, but honestly, if you're a good stock picker, uh, then the right decision is usually, and you're investing to say in, in, in quality stocks, not net net plays, right? Then the right decision is usually to hold some or all and wait out the temporary dip of valuation issue. Now, how have I been able to hold on to like expel, right? I mean, honestly, and this is gonna sound ridiculous, but honestly, it's, it's easier than you think, right? At the start of 2019, when Expel was you know, $6.20 US and roughly a five bagger, like my MasterCard, for example, was a 40 bagger at that time, right? So Expel at the, at the start of 2019, I held for two to three years and most portfolio positions at the time I owned for longer than that, right? My habits are designed for long-term multi-baggers. So therefore I'm, I was ready to benefit from that entire Expel journey. It really happens, it really comes down to your habits, right? If your habits and procedures are designed for swing trading, then it's gonna to be tough to hold on to these wonderful, unique opportunities for the long term. So, you know, I was ready for expel because my habits were ready for expel when it comes down to it. Very good. Well, and Jason, coming back to you as well, I mean, you know, when you were first evaluating expel or any opportunities out there, you know, how did you develop the skill to determine? you know, whether again, a microcap or any investment has that true competitive advantage. I mean, you know, not every, every not every situation is going to be like expel where you could see, you know, if they happen to win this lawsuit, you know, there it is moats there. It's, it's a clear special situation, you know, opportunity right there, but you know, not every, not every situation has that opportunity, you know, so yeah, it's a bit of a trick so question, you, Bobby, because, you know, I don't know if any microcap, while they're a microcap has a true competitive advantage. You so know, this is where I was getting -ish, to. True-ish yeah. you know, advantage, right? Like a developing advantage, right? You know, because I'm a businessman, I've always, I'm always like shocked how at successful businesses, right? It's so hard to build a successful business. So you, you got to ask a lot of whys, right? Why are they growing so, you know, so quickly? Why are they being successful, right? I mean, take Expel again, right? They've been able to grow the top line so quickly for years with a bare minimum of marketing, right? When you see that occur, right? Doesn't that make you curious, right? Or a few years ago, when you saw a company like Expel grow so quickly without much debt or share secondaries, right? Even without much bottom line profits, right? Doesn't that suggest that value is being created, right? Even in this last quarter, right? Expel grew its auto window tint business like 79% year over year, right? Why, right? You have to find the answers to these whys. And after all, like auto window tint, for example, has been around forever, right? Expel has a good product with their auto window tint, but so do its competitors, which are already entrenched in car dealerships, right? And so answering these whys, you know, is really crucial, right? And there are multiple reasons for 
expel success, including some better, you know, better software. Um, but ultimately, like competitors are designed around like middlemen distributor models, and Expel is built around like a direct model, right? Car dealerships want to improve their their margins, and so they need to implement good, better, best options for auto window tint, right? Uh, or one of the they want to explore going into PPF, right? And they they get their ser the service they need to succeed from Expel, right? So. Like asking management, I asked, and I think Meredith and I asked Ryan about this, like, you know, why? Why are they succeeding in auto window tint, right? And he told us like a competitor switched from this distributor model to direct, but it took him 10 years to do so because it's so tough and so involved, right? Having the better business model, having that direct distribution system when so many of your competitors are going through these middlemen distributors, that's a competitive advantage. And I think it comes back to distribution. So much, you know, so much success really comes from distribution advantages. And, and so, you know, advantages do come in various shapes and sizes, but you got to use those, those qualitative clues to improve your quantitative models and then your quantitative observations to improve your qualitative, you know, understanding, right? It's a virtual circle, you know, and hopefully the why then is followed by, ah, I, I get it. So uh, that, that to me is really, really, you know, how you figure out some of these, some of these stocks. And maybe Meredith has some, uh, or some other panelists have some some thoughts on it too. Everybody, want to jump in? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I agree uh, with you, Jason, when you say that um, uh, not a lot of microcaps have a true like uh, moats or com like very large competitive advantages because they're just like startups. They're small businesses. Uh, they they have small competitive advantages, but. Um, uh, Personally, what I look for is uh, outside validation. So uh, that, that's an important thing for me in, in microcaps. Uh, so for example, um, I, I spoke about uh, Xebec earlier that they, they got their uh, large order, uh, $50 million order uh, from a, an important customer in, in Europe. And to me, that's validation that the, there's, a, the, there's a real demand for the product. There's a, uh, I mean, it's a large customer and they chose Zbeck. Why? Well, because probably the product is better than other competing products. So um, this is validation for me. Uh, another thing is um, uh, companies that get uh, strategic investors involved. Uh, so um, uh, I I'll give another example uh, that the fund is a shareholder. It's uh, Kraken Robotics, uh, PNG on the, on, on the TSX Venture. Um, they, they have uh, Ocean Infinity, it's a, it's a large strategic player in, in their industry and they invested and, and bought, uh, I think it's 20% of the company. Uh, so to me, that, that's validation that the technology is real and somebody sees value in it. Um, in other cases can be, a, for example, a company that wins a, a patent lawsuit. So they, they su successfully defend their intellectual property and they get paid uh, an amount in the lawsuit. So that tells me there's value in the patents. Um, so I, I'm looking for things like that uh, to, to, to validate from an outside uh, perspective, uh, my investment thesis. Very good. Dean, Meredith, do you guys want to uh, chime in here? Or Dean, sorry. Uh, I, I don't think I have much, much to add uh, other than uh, for Jason mentioned following uh, a company uh, after you sell. Uh, one thing that, that I found that sort of worked uh, 
um, to, to enforce or ensure that I'm doing a pro like having one is a feedback loop is I have an investing journal. And so every time I move more than 1% of my portfolio, I write why I did what I'm doing, what made me come to that decision. And then so I can look back at that uh, and say like, what was that the right or wrong? And it sort of timestamps everything. And I will clearly write in there, do not fall in love with this business right now. Or uh, as I'm purchasing shares, do not unload this if it doubles in a year, you know, like something reassess. Uh, I, and I think when the share price is moving up, it creates a different dynamic. Some of the harder times are when the business is improving and the share price is going nowhere. And you're sort of questioning yourself, you know, what is going on that is causing this? Um, Jason mentioned Expel. Expel went nowhere for like a year and a half, which is essentially three lifetimes in 2020s, uh, like time frame for investors. I've had a few other companies where I've purchased them and the business has improved and it's, it's meeting those deliverables, but the share price is doing nothing. And the conviction to continue to hold through that and, and add, um, maybe it's going up a little bit, but it's definitely not moving the needle like you sort of anticipated. I think those are really, that sort of, that type of conviction is is not, um, I don't think that's discussed enough. And again, in, in this year where everything is just supercharged, I don't think that, um, I don't think that many people actually put a lot of thought into that. And so, um, like Matthew was saying, when Zbeck had that large order and the share price Yes, it moved, but not to the degree. You're like, look, this is this is a very large order. This is a very validating data point to the, my thesis. And the share price moves 10% or something like that. And you're just like, so you you do have to ask yourself, what is the reason for this? Um, but as far as, I don't have anything other other than that to add, but I do think it's underappreciated that that when you, when you have those stagnant times and the business is improving, that's another, that's another sort of hurdle to get over. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and coming back to you real quick, I mean, you know, one question that was actually wrote that was written in uh, before today's panel on Twitter was asking really about maintenance, you know, and, and this kind of goes back to that whole holding strategy and when you know to sell and when the thesis is broken, because, you know, what are some of the things that you all do to make sure that you you have the questions in place for when certain things happen, or, you know, do you have those maintenance questions ready to go before um, maybe something happens to validate them or invalidate them? You know, what, how do you think about when you're, you want to hold something for the long term? that's why you invested it in it to begin with, but then now you have to ask yourself, okay, well, at what point do I, is it, is it invalidated? You know, Dean, love, love to get your thoughts on this. So the question around sort of maintenance time or, or um, you know, continuing to validate your thesis, there's, there's sort of the shorter term quarter, quarter to quarter swing. So maybe you see like, you see a jump in, in revenue or receivables or something. So there's always those typical accounting questions. And then there's definitely the, you need to, you know, did, did this, is this management team doing what they said they were going to do? So COVID has thrown a wrench into all sorts of plans as far as 
expansion for for many of the businesses that I own. Um, but you know, are they still moving towards what their three and five year strategy is? And if that's the types of questions you're asking when you're getting into this into the business, you know, what is that? What can this business be in three or five or ten years or whatever that is? Those are really just you kind of just validate those same uh, those same data points as you continue to own shares. So if the if the goal was to fill a hole in their product portfolio, you know whether that's building it uh, in house with their uh, engineering team, or that is uh, purchasing a company out on on you know on the open market or potentially private. That's you know you have to. You have to ask, like, where are we at with that? How is that going? What does the pipeline look like? It's not a, a lot different because the money and the, the share price doesn't care what you, what you paid for. The business doesn't care whether you, you bought it at a dollar and it's at three or it's at 50 cents. It doesn't really matter once you've made that initial purchase. So you still need to definitely continue. And you have to make sure that that opportunity is still there. If you're going to hold these things and they're going to become a large portion of your portfolio, as the business changes, the questions do, they do change. And it pivots maybe from a statistically cheap to what is that three and five year um, opportunity. So I'm just going to use Expel as an example because Expel ran into a, a product quality issue shortly after the lawsuit, which I remember we were all debating whether or not they would hit like 15% EBITDA margins. I think that was 2017 or 2018. Um, and, and the questions you're asking right then are like, will this business, you know, has this, has this impacted the long-term potential of this business for getting the short-term profitability, but like, has this impacted the long-term potential of this business on the other side of the quality issue is they're expanding into, uh, different geographies. It's what is the strategy in Mexico? What is the strategy in China? Why are you choosing this? And so it, it is really dynamic. But if you see the potential, you're just sort of verifying and validating that initial thesis as you go along. Very good, Jason. How, how do you think about this question? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I think one of the advantages of being a a uh, uh, like a family office or a private investor is that you can really design like bespoke processes, right? You don't you're not fitting yourself into a a large. A mutual fund organization, and you're a you know a you know, lower level portfolio manager, and you have to you know create some kind of model. Uh, you know, I was speaking with a uh, with a uh, a portfolio manager not too long ago, who was asking me some questions about Expel, and uh, she was looking at it, or he was looking at it, about uh, maybe about eighteen months ago, and then like it fell through the cracks, right? It fell through the cracks. Right. So one of the advantages of being a private investor is that you can really, you know, if you're interested in a particular stock, you can drive down and, and study that stock, you know, morning, noon and night, you know, if, you're, if your family allows you. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think basically I really don't have too much to add on to what Dean said, to be honest with you, with like maintenance due diligence. It's really about asking the kinds of questions that 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 keep you interested and invested in the stock, uh, that you can see this growing platform, this growing sales funnel, you know, down the line, right? So like Meredith suggested, so many, so many investors just focus on the next quarter or two quarters, you know, they ask you, like, 
you know, uh, what's your estimate for, for next quarter? What's your estimate for next year? But honestly, like so much of the value, uh, you know, if you look at the value of the stock is like in the terminal value, right? So you've got to feel comfortable that that's a, like a large and growing number. And so, so many of my questions are really trying to figure out, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the next three or five years or even seven years. And even the management team doesn't know that, right? But you're just trying to get a sense of how aggressive and how, you know, what are the, the real opportunities out there? And, and I'm sorry, I'm not being more specific, but it's really, that's, that's really comes down to it. Just, just trying to get a, a sense, even before, even before you can put the numbers down, like a sense of what the real uh, opportunities are out there. Very good. All right. So I'm going to, Matthew, I'm going to move on to the next question. Cause I, you know, look, I've taken up a lot of your time and also our audience, like, wow, we're, we're digging in here. So I got two more questions that I wanted to dig into real quick, you know, and, and this one has to do with, uh, uh, you know, everyone can point to great management after a stock has gone up a lot. Right. You know, so early on, how have you guys been able to determine whether a management team is strong or weak? So Matthew, I'd love to get your thoughts here. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, the, um, th there are a few uh, hints uh, that, that you can uh, uh, find when you talk to management. So um, uh, the first one uh, is uh, they, they, they think and talk about the long term. So they, they, they won't be talking about next quarter's results or uh, what's gonna what, uh, which news will be released next week uh like they, they think in three to five year uh, horizons and, and also um uh, they, they, they talk more about the business than the stock price uh, you know when when a management team uh, talks about the stock price uh, the first thing uh, during the meeting uh, i i lose interest right away um and uh, also, uh, one thing I look for is uh, the the previous track record. So um, uh, it can be with the current business. Uh, if they have enough history, uh, I can look back a few years and see how they have executed so far. Um, but sometimes it's not possible. So I look for uh, maybe previous business experience in other companies. Um, so that that can tell me that uh, someone has, uh, has done it before. Um, and then I, I ask, I always try to ask about um, capital allocation, how, how they think about financing the business and, re and investing uh, that capital, uh, what are the main opportunities, uh, how they see uh, things uh, growing for the long term. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that would be uh, my process. Very good. Uh, Jason, your thoughts on this? Oh, you're muted. Well, there I go. There you go. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of shareholders want like skin in the game and, and view management share ownership as a proxy for like good or aligned management. And I'm, I'm not actually so sure about that. And I know that's sort of controversial. Like it, to me, like a lot of microcap like management ownership is correlated with early rather than excellent. Uh, and I think the key word is team. You know, a growing microcap business is going to hire more employees. Not all of them or even many of them are going to be owners, but all of them really need to be good at their respective jobs. And it's, it's, it's so tough. Admittedly, it is tough to, or impossible sometimes to get a feel for the quality of new employees. So therefore you can't really get a feel for the culture. But a lot of times you can talk to, you know, 
the CEO and the CFO or the CEO and the COO, right? If the CEO surrounds himself or herself with like unimpressive or weak CFOs or, or other seconds in command, then, then what does that really say about like the CEO's standards, right? In, to me, it's, it's so crucial to be impressed by more than just a single charismatic leader in a micro, you know, in a micro cap, right? You've got to see at least some other high quality employees because that's what they're going to need a great team really to propel themselves forward, you know, for these, for these small micro cap growth stocks. Very good. And Dean, your final thoughts on this? I think the, the biggest points have been kind of brought up. I think one thing that I didn't appreciate uh, and I've learned as I've evolved is that the, the better CEOs uh, are spending more time with their sales teams, their employees, their suppliers, their customers, and understanding their product or service from the, the end user experience, where they're strong and where they're weak, the competitive landscape, uh, rather than just sort of give, giving uh, a no nobody retail investor a bunch of their time that may or may not, you know, be in this thing for the long term. So the, the, and to really echo what Jason said, like to find a CEO and a CFO team, that's that two people are kind of rowing in the same direction at, at the same cadence is very rare. I've only really found two or three through my uh, experience so far. All right, very good. Well, we're at our final question of this panel. I just want to say thank you all for for just everything that you've provided today. There's been so many good, I mean, great pieces of, of, of wisdom and insights that I think anybody listening in can really take away here, you know. So, you know, my final question is, and, and Meredith coming to you first on this one, you know, if you if you had to offer a suggestion to your fellow Canadian microcap investor, what would it be? I would say to really filter ideas that you're going to take a deep look at very narrowly. So, and if once you select a stock that you really want to investigate, let it play to your strengths. So let it be something you're interested in so that you can read broadly on it, read trade journals, go to conferences, talk to um, suppliers and customers. And so if you don't want to do that, that's very difficult to get into the sector and understand the space and the competitive landscape. So I say choose companies very narrowly that fit within your circle of confidence and you'll really, you know, get a really good sense of that company and, you know, make sure you can talk to management and like, don't waste time and effort and on story stocks that you're never going to invest in because it's just a waste of your time. I mean, sometimes it's, it's interesting just to see, and study other companies to get that pattern recognition in place. But for the ones that you're going to really want to invest your time and money in, just really make sure that it's something that you're very interested in and you think that all the stakeholders might benefit from that product or service. Because in that case, it's really a virtuous cycle. So if it's a, you know, a surgical product that is a unmet medical need and you can, um, you know, the, the, the patients benefit, the doctors benefit, the payers benefit, and then the business benefits and you as a shareholder will benefit. So if you can find those really special companies, I say, put a lot of effort into it and, 
and understand it better than anybody. I mean, I would that that's uh, if there's anything anybody heard today, like that is probably you know, look, life is short, and especially in investing, you know, spend your time wisely. You know, I mean, exactly. but 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 another good point that you said there too is like it's good to look at everything just to get that pattern recognition down, so you know what to just all right, this pile right here, crap, and then you know the real stuff. Uh, so. Of course, you miss things that way, but you are going to miss things that way. So if there's a SaaS company that somebody's really excited about, you listen to the pitch, especially if it's a good friend who knows what he's talking about. Um, you listen to the pitch and you say, that is probably going to do well, but your time is limited. So mm -hmm. if it doesn't interest you, or if it's just not, if this is beyond what you understand, then I you know, keep it on a watch list perhaps, Yeah. but it, you only have so much time. And also be totally cool with that, that idea that you spent, you know, a hundred hours researching that it might not be a good idea, but right. at least. And that's, and that's value. That's valuable because you, you, you went down the rabbit hole and you didn't invest and it could be the wrong decision, but it was your decision. So it was time, it was time-wise used wisely, I think. Very cool. All right. Dean, what, what, what about you? How would you answer this question? Um, so I would say, uh, you know, leverage your resources, which, which to me for microcap investing is like build your network, uh, cultivate a good network. Um, my best idea funnel is other investors. Uh, often I'm, I'm punching above my weight class when it comes to business analysis, where I can do well is in a conviction to continue to hold through sort of rough patches. So cultivate your network early, make sure you're giving to the community. So, you know, I think I don't, we've mentioned Expel once or twice here today. Uh, my, uh, my contribution was minimal, but I contributed what I could. I, I was another data point on the board kind of validating uh, the thesis. Um, so give back and then, you know, that, that network will be for me anyways, it's been my best idea funnel. And, if I ever run out of ideas, I can always message someone on Twitter or pick up the phone and be like, all right, what are, what are some things that you're looking at and why you're looking at them? And even if I don't um, end up purchasing shares, it does create more ideas for the funnel to research. Very cool. And Dean, I got to ask, are you still shareholder, are you shareholder in uh, Expel? I am. Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah, no, that point about hitting above your weight class, I feel like that anytime I press record that that pretty much is what's happening, you know, so I can I can definitely appreciate that, especially on this panel today. This is far beyond my weight class. Uh, but so Matthew, how, how would you also answer this question? Yeah, well, my advice uh, would be to um, uh, be patient and uh, invest with a long term mindset. Um, I. No, I have uh, many friends who invest uh, in microcaps, and um, a lot of them are are chasing quick gains and um, investing in companies they they don't uh, really understand or haven't researched properly. So um, uh, I think, like in in a in a market like we are now, where everything is going up, this works, and, and uh, that's the trap. I think. Um, because uh, I don't, I, I don't feel like it's a great strategy over the long term. Um, so I, I would say, do your research, uh, do do the work, um, and uh, find great businesses. Find a few of them and hold them for the long term. Very good, Jason. Close us out, man. 
Yeah, and these are all great suggestions and I really appreciate being invited on this panel. So, uh, you know, thank you, thank you, Bobby. And I got, I got three, three, more, uh, three more suggestions. Like, number one, even though these are micro caps, you want execution, not excuses, right? Excuses is polite Canadian for an upcoming share secondary, okay? So watch out, okay? Number two, don't auto sell performing micro caps just because they tend back. Like I bought Expel at 10 times the price a fellow, fellow like investor acquaintance paid. And now it's like 40 times higher than my price. So, so don't, don't just focus on, on, the, on how much it's appreciated, right? Focus on the opportunity going ahead. And number three, great micro caps are like Forrest Gump. You know, they just keep on running. So uh, there you go, Bobby. That's, uh, that's all I got for you. Great microcaps are like Forrest Gump. I should rename the name of this, this, the title of this panel to that. Cause that is a, that is a gem onto itself, but uh, all right. Well, again, thank y'all for doing this. Let's close this out where everybody can go and follow you on Twitter and or your blog. So Matthew, where, what's your handle and, uh, and website for people to find more information. Yeah, sure. So uh, Twitter is uh, E-S-P-A-C-E-M-C. Um, and uh, the website, the blog is, is espacemc.com. Uh, and um, uh, if you want to find out more about the, the Rivmont Microcap Fund, uh, you can visit Rivmont's uh, website. It's R-I-V-E-M-O-N-T.ca. Very good. Jason, how about you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter as uh, 8track180, that's E-I-G-H-T, track 180, and on Microcap Club, I'm uh, uh, just 8track, and I'm also, uh, you can just, if you want to see, find out a little more about Hudson215 Capital, it's just Hudson215Capital.com. And that's Hudson215 Capital, not Hudson215 Capital, just want to make sure we're clear. Two fifty, yeah, whatever, whatever, for just you, Bobby, you can say, you can say the 215 if you want to. to it. You know what? I probably will end up. This is that. That's very good. All right. <laughs> so, uh, Dean, where can people go and follow you? Uh, so you can follow my my personal blog at pettycash.blog. I'm also on Twitter at pettycash, and in between petty and cash is two underscores. So hopefully that uh, <laughs> you can find me between there as just one word. Petty cash was already taken. So. All right. So we should. But so pet- another. Another thing we're going to do is crowdfund to buy at Petty Cash just for you. Sure. <laughs> so you don't have two underscores anymore. Very if you good. go to pettycash.blog, you can uh, you can find me there quite easy. And you can message me through the, the blog as well. Very good. Thank you, Dean. And Meredith, where can people go and follow you on Twitter? So I, I post um, on Twitter at Lockstock Barrel, no E, because it was already taken. Um, <laughs> and then I also post on the Microcap Club under Lockstock Barrel with an E, because it was not taken there. <laughs> And just, and, and it's, I think I asked you this on our independent podcast is Lockstock Barrel. Cause what, what's the name of the movie? It's Lockstock Barrel and two smoking, three smoking. It's the, yeah, it actually wasn't from that movie. <laughs> um, we, when I originally went on Twitter, my daughter had the brilliant idea to put stalker mom and <laughs> see if that was taken, but it was taken by a woman who doesn't even talk about stocks. So then I needed something with stock in it and Lockstock Barrel seemed to be. Just a cool name. And it's, it's kind of macho, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's hilarious. I was just going to say, it's very funny because you're like, you're so chill and relaxed. And it's like, lock, stop, bear, like, here we go. You know, but uh, well, with that, 
I, I really appreciate all of you for uh, taking the time to do this today. I uh, look forward to our next chat and uh, stay safe. Happy New Year. We're recording this just before the New Year. So happy New Year. And uh, I look forward to our next uh, next time we get to chat. So thank you. Thank you, Bobby. Thank, thank you, Bobby. Thank you.